Hey, it's WWE Hall of Famer from the Legion of Doom, Road War Animal. And I'm Big Mike, Michael Alden, representing Impact Wrestling. And we're here so you can listen to Long Island's number one pro wrestling podcast. Monty and the Pharaoh! Oh, what a rush! Welcome to Long Island's number one pro wrestling broadcast. Monty Nefaro, only seen here out of Indie Music TV from Ron Conkama, Long Island. At the board is our super producer, Matty Ice. Matty, how are you? Doing amazing as always. How great, are you doing? Great show last week, my friend. Thank you, thank you. And to the right is the star of the show, Mr. Jimmy Farrow. Jimmy, how are you, my friend? I'm here. What's going on? Back again? How was your week? I don't know. I didn't really talk to you much. I... I really don't know. You, you know, lately I'm going in and out of hazes. I noticed, not purple either. I noticed you've got, not purple. No, I was not just listening hazes. to Jimi Hendrix channel. Uh, nice today at work. Any particular songs you remember? Uh, going. Oh yeah. Hey Joe was on. Hey Joe. Hey Joe's great. Great. Yeah, if you were ever going to kill your wife, would you have played hey Joe in your head? Hey Joe. Yeah. Why the hell would I play Hey Joe? Because you shot your woman down. Oh, yeah. yeah. You, wow, you know, for a really mellow, cool tune, them lyrics are pr- that, that is, they're pretty nasty. That is, that's Yeah, but about. she was messing around, messing around town. <laughs> that's right. Hey, Joe. And I gave her the gun. I shot her. That was all my, and that solo. By the way, you ever see the black and white from back in the day where he plays that solo with his teeth? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Oh, my God, Jimi Hendrix. God. One in a billion. I see you got your uh, Monty Nefaro corona mask. <clears throat> you know. <laughs> You asked me before the show started, would I ever see the day where people would have my face on their lips constantly? I'm, uh, the answer is no. I'm not sure how I feel about it, but I will say this. The mask is outstanding, and you can get it at... www.montynefaro.com. $12.99. Pretty cool. For $12.99, you could have the Faro sit on your face. <laughs> would you please? How do you like that, Ed? Yeah. Joseph Hudson, a.k.a. Question Mark, passed away yesterday. Thoughts on that? Thoughts on that? Honestly, right away I thought about you because I know how much you loved Question Mark. Um, dude, we barely we barely got to know thee. Yeah. He's gone. What, what happened here? I don't what, know. Did they, did they say what happened to him? Undisclosed illness or medical issue. By the way, this is happening more and more. I, I Was it Sandman and, and Shane Douglas? But we were covering the fact that nowadays you don't even get what they're passing away from. 
No, it started that's what we discussing more and more. I think the Farrow was uh, talking about last week's uh, special Saturday show with ECW legends uh, Shane Douglas and the Sandman. Yeah, where we basically talked about politics and uh, religion and whatever else you throw yeah, out. It was it, more right? like the state of America today, but that's why we are what we are. We don't always uh, go for the uh, armbar question, and um, I got to thank Sandman personally. Uh, you're welcome. I can hear him now. Yeah, right. Uh, but I want to thank him for what he said when we got off the air. You know, it's not always, it's not as easy as this may appear to be. There's a lot of work that goes into this show. And uh, it's nice once in a while, especially coming from someone of, someone of uh, Sandman's status, to to hear what Sandman had to say after the show. He was like, he, he compared it to Howard. He's like, I love it. It's so relaxed here. I love what you guys do. Is You know, and I, it was really... It felt good to hear that coming from somebody like Sam. Listen, I think when we first got into it, it was all about just like, look, if we could just entertain people and have a good time, that's what it was all about. Yeah. It kind of grew, like we know. Yeah. And, uh, you know, again, some people like it. Most people like it. Some people don't. We've got a nice percentage of those who like it. It's over the 90%, so I'm happy with that. That's an A back in the day. That's it, brother. I'll take that A. And for a guy back in the day who didn't know what an A looked like, (laughs) thank you. You know, that works for me. News broke yesterday that the Big Show has left the WWE to join AEW. I, I personally am excited because I can't wait to watch <laughs> the Big Show against Marco Stunt. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, he's got show right where he wants him. I mean, this is ridiculous. You know what's going to probably happen, too? He's going to throw him into the 50th row. Dude. I mean, Marco Stunt needs to take out extra medical insurance if AEW, this happens. Big Show, look. The guy needs to be, if he's going to announce, just announce. You can't wrestle. They don't have enough big guys for that guy. Right. There is, you know. How shocked were you? i got to admit, I was pretty surprised. Didn't we just see Big Show a couple of years back at the Jet game? Yes, we did. You know, with with all the other wrestlers we were sitting with, with that day? With Monty and Farrow, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's just like, wow. I am really surprised that he did this. And I actually heard, I can't be sure, but I had read that the, that the front office in WWE is really shocked. I don't think they're too happy about it. I wouldn't be too happy about it. He's been with them for twenty-two uh, let's, let's, years. Look, look, we're getting we're older, right? Right. Sooner or later, you wear you welcome, and it's like right. we don't have room for you. So he thinks he could keep going. I don't know why. Oh, I don't blame him. He's a millionaire. For, for why to keep for going? For well, because it's his James art. James Wheeler out there his says art. Raw is Ripley. She Raw, nice. Not yet though. Wasn't well, she coming though? Who they knows? Said she was coming. Not so sure. I, well, I think that she would be an improvement for Raw if she does show up there, so before, and I heard she was. Before so. we get to our special guest, I just wanted to cover Cameron Grimes yesterday. Did you watch <laughs> oh him God. on NXT? Why didn't he finish watching the original video? How great was that, Hilarious. Man? He needed to finish watching the video. I felt like I was watching old school wrestling again. <laughs> right. I was like, wow. You know what? Kudos to Cameron Grimes, too. I had no idea he had this kind of entertainment in him. He's very, very entertaining. Dude, the best part of that whole thing is when he approaches that, uh, that young lady <laughs> and the dribble, and she stands, she sits, stands up, and she's like eight feet tall. That's, I think she's a, a former WNBA player. Is that? I it, think so. Oh, really? so they, yeah, I think they had someone of, oh, so of, of note do it. Oh, so they had a ringer in there. <laughs> it's a pretty. That's not right. That's and she's dribbling between her legs. Oh my god! But what about his final conclusion? Money. Oh, everything makes me. Oh my god! What I think funny. the gimmick there is. Very funny. Correct me if you if you agree with me. What's I, that? I think that. He's going to go broke. <laughs> Probably. Right? He's, he unlike the million like, dollar man. looks like he's broke. <laughs> he needs to get his Virgil going, man. Oh, my God. Yeah. Why not? Oh, my God. It's right. Uh, what else you got? 
Happy birthday to the Nature Boy, Ric Flair. How old is Rick now? I believe 71. Okay. okay. Uh, I don't know if you caught it recently. Ric Flair was interviewed, and he said uh, he was not very close anymore with Arn Anderson or Tully Blanchard. Did he disclose why? Did he say why? I don't think he What's said why. What's the issue? I think, just like anything else, you have friends, you get older, and they dissipate. And they're not, th and you know where they are both right now. I don't think it's an AEW, WWE thing. Well, so. It must be a philosophy, a big difference in, you know, hey, Rick, you're over there still making all that killer money. What about your friends? I wouldn't be surprised if that conversation happened privately between these guys. I just think sooner or later, just you go your separate ways. I mean, I think that right, happens to everybody, all, right? Maybe that's all it is. That's fine, too. I gotta ask you uh, while we're sitting here. There's, uh, there's something on the desk I'm a little curious about. What's uh, what's in the envelope? What's it? Oh, so are you asking me what's in yeah, the envelope? I'm, I'm asking you what's in the envelope. Well, it says I should ask you right here. So well, there you go. <laughs> there you go. Give so away. Give it away. I can, it what's that? Will we want to grab it? I can't see it. No, I don't want to so, grab it. This I'll, was I'll sent take to a us. Look at it. This was I mean, sent. Uh, <laughs> this was sent to us from a close friend of the show. Oh wow! Look, right? it's it's Mike it's, Messier. It's Messier, the Messier, greatest last name ever. One of the uh, yeah, we go, Mister Actor, book oh, writer, wow. pro wrestling this. expert. So Mike is going to come on the show shortly. Nice. And uh, I'm he, impressed. He sent this over. So look we at could this! It's, it. it's got a personal. Uh, it's what, got a personal little writing there. What, what does yours say? Uh, it says, eat at Joe's. What? Oh, wait a minute. I don't have my glasses. I'm sorry, Mikey. Hold on a second. It says, Pharaoh, always enjoy your discussions. Mike Messier. Messier! And mine says, Monty, keep it real, brother. <laughs> well, anyway, I'll like be reading A Distance from Avalon. This is great. When the dying and the dead reunite. Ooh. I'm a little scared, dude. I'm I, not, I'm this actually, isn't a zombie thing, well, you know, is it? I hope this is scary as can be. I love being. Well, anyway, please, I fans out there, standing. get Mike Messier's book. It's on oh, Amazon goodness. right now. You can order A oh, Distance wow. from Avalon when a when the dying and the dead reunite. Wow. Very I love cool, it, Mike. man. Great I love job, it. Mikey. I can't wait to read it. So you have a homework assignment, Mr. Farrow. Oh, come on. I you are to read that book and get ready for Mike Messier's interview. Okay. You gave me homework, Mike. I'm sitting here praising you. Right. Homework. Well, I'd like to thank the band that sings the theme song for Monty and the Farrow, our own Jimmy Farrow, the lead singer of that band, along with his partner, Bart Griggs, one of the great songwriters of our age. Mysterio Hall sings such great songs as In My Dreams, This Life, Not Far Behind, Here Comes the Rain, hmm. and you can find their music on Spotify, iTunes, and Reverb Nation. Thank you, thank you. Monty Nefaro, that's a show you're watching now, can be seen on YouTube, Facebook Live, the Monty Nefaro page, iHeartRadio, Spotify, Anchor, Twitch TV, the Monty Nefaro page, Channel 115, that's cable in New York, every Tuesday from 7 to 7.30, where you'll see our special guest, Mr. Lee Cole, on the next upcoming show, Channel 115, uh, every Saturday from 6 a.m. to 6.30, you have your morning coffee. And if that's not enough, that's when I go to about sleep. a couple hours from now, on <laughs> Friday morning from 2 a.m. to 2.30 on Channel 20, that again is New York Cable, mm -hmm. you can catch Monty and the where you see these episodes yeah. just in a reduced version. Abbreviated. Um, just to share with you, YouTube has chosen Monty Nefaro to be one of their pilot shows when we'll be taking a, a lot of surveys and they'll be watching our channel. And uh, you know what? That's always a good thing. It's always a good thing. Yep, that works. 
We're going to take a quick commercial break, and then we'll be back with our special guest, Mr. Lee Cole, brother of former ring boy Tom Cole. We'll be right back. Stay tuned. You need a body shop? You need engine repair? Auto Excellence. Collision Specialist. 631-261-6420. That's 631-261-6420. Auto Excellence. The Monty and the Pharaoh Show is brought to you by... Because wine is your second favorite four-letter word. California wine, New York attitude, good fucking wine. Yeah. Jeff Quest, graphics design, custom vinyl lettering, and all your art and video needs. 516-317-8204. That's for Jeff Quest, graphic design. All right, welcome back to Long Island's number one pro wrestling broadcast, Monty and the Pharaoh, seen only here out of Indie Music TV in Long Island, New York. Uh, Jimmy, before we get to our special guest, uh, just to tell you, I, I didn't know if you were aware, uh, we were scheduled to have the Magnificent Morocco on the show. Yeah. But he wrote me um, on Tuesday saying that he found out that we were friends with super agent Eric Sims, what? so he would not be coming on the show. How do you like that? Well... Sims at it again. If you look back on that time that Eric Sims was refused the restroom at a simple diner in Queens, oh, you're that shocked. <laughs> well, there you go. You know, poor Eric. What's the story here? Well, let's oh, introduce yeah. our special guest, Mr. Lee Cole. Lee, how are you, buddy? I'm doing well, thank you. Welcome to Long Island's number one pro wrestling broadcast. I'm going to let uh, Lee. I'm going to let the star of the show educate our fans a little bit about your brother Tom. So Farrell will take over, and then uh, we'll hit you. And away we go. All right, folks. Okay. Our, our esteemed guest today is uh, Lee Cole. Uh, if I can briefly give a uh, summary of why our guest is here today, uh, Tom Cole. Lee's brother worked as a ring boy for WWE, then of course known as uh, WWF Titan Sports, and accused employees Terry Garvin and ring announcer Mel Phillips of misconduct. Cole stated in multiple interviews that he rejected the sexual advances of the Garvin, Terry Joyle, who was fired by the company following the ring boy scandal. In a 1999 WrestlingPerspective.com interview, Cole recalled Garvin offering him a WWE warehouse job when he was 19. He claimed that Garvin drove him to his home, where he claimed his wife and kids would be. Upon arrival, Garvin claimed to have forgotten that his family was in Florida. Cole alleged that Garvin played a pornographic video and offered to perform oral sex on him. Cole said he rejected Garvin's offer and spent the night sleeping in a van during a snowstorm. The next morning, Garvin dropped him off at the warehouse, and then former WWE announcer Mel Phillips Jr. informed him later that day that Garvin no longer wanted him to work at the warehouse. Garvin, who resigned from the WWF following multiple sexual misconduct accusations, died on August 17, 1998, at age 61. Uh, Lee, I understand that this is a very small recap of the situation. Can you help us fill in some blanks, please? Yes. Uh, well, 
when when Tom was 16, he originally left the WWF. Uh, he was just a kid at that time. He left the WWF because Terry Garvin came on to him at that time. And uh, then he was offered a job back and, and uh, by uh, Mel Phillips. And, you know, one thing that we have to remember, when these kids started uh, going around the WWF, they were 13. They were 14. They were 15. These were young kids. And what they did, it was like a, um, pretty much they groomed them. And they kept the ones that they thought were good-looking kids. They would just go through a herd of kids and pick and choose the ones that they want. It was like they worked them up the ladder. It started off with Mel, then it went to Terry. And along the way, they were uh, sexually harassed uh, a lot of times by Pat Patterson. I understand Tom was underage. How was he able to, what was his first, uh, you know, how did it all come about that he was able to even work there? Was he, did he? He was, he was in White Plains, New York. Uh, he went to a show uh, in the White Plains area where, at that time, Arnold Skolin, it was his show. And um, Mel, he bumped into Mel there. And Mel was with, a, with some other kids. And then Mel started getting friendly and talking to him. And this is how we would do it. And then Tom told him he lived in Yonkers. And, uh, and the next thing you know, um, like I, I, I think I gave you a picture of when Tom was 14 years old and he's wearing the WW with a Hulk Hogan cap and stuff. But... That's when they started grooming him, and um, and Tom was Tom at that time was very excited because you're a young kid, you know. They were using him to set up the uh, ring crew, but, but that's what they did though. They used wrestling to lure these kids in, and um, at that time, uh, my my mother was an alcoholic, and uh, my father uh, was working all the time, and he was never around, and that's what they preyed off. Now, if you look at this picture here, you see how young he is. I mean, this is what they, you know, and so, you know, it's like Vince McMahon would say that he never knew this was going on. You know, everybody knows that Vince McMahon has eyes everywhere in his buildings. And this was from WrestleMania, this picture right here, uh, during the settlement negotiation. That's my ex-wife and my son with uh, Ray Combs and uh, Vince McMahon. They gave us backstage passes, front row seats to WrestleMania. Uh, that was from Linda McMahon. And... Uh, they were treating us really good at that time, but once they seen that they couldn't get me on their side, they decided that they were going to do everything they could to get me out of the way. Who did most of the, this is a, I hope I say this the right way, who did most of the recruiting itself with these young kids? Was it Mel? Yes. It was Mel. Mel Phillips was, Mel was, I guess, the hunter. He was the hunter. He would okay. go out and look for these kids. Okay. And I'll give you an example. Like, Tom hung with a certain group of kids in, um, in Yonkers, and these kids were street kids, pretty rugged, tough kids, but all from broken families. And so what he would do, it was a lot like the, Jerry, the Epstein thing, where he would take one girl and send that girl out to bring her friends back. Mel would do the same thing. He would say to Tom, well, why don't you bring some friends here? And then, you know, that's, that's pretty much how they would, uh, just, you know, go through, through these kids. But a lot of these kids were real smart, and they would say to Tom, this guy's creepy, dude. I'm out of here. Okay. And your brother, he didn't say that. Was it because he no. wanted to be a professional wrestler, or he was just, what, why, why was he different than the others? 
because well he back then he called himself Tommy 14 karat golden that was his name and he used to love announcing pretending he was a ring announcer his dream was always to be a ring announcer and um, he was just living for that dream and you know you got to remember at this time this kid was literally homeless you know he he went for he spent three months sleeping in his girlfriend's closet without the parents knowing I mean that's that was Tom where were you staying at that time? You did say that the family was broken, so so Tom was yes. sounds like Tom was floating, just trying to find an identity, and and the company seemed to be giving him some somewhat of an identity in his life. Where were you during this? I was uh, at that time. I was uh, I was in New York City. I was uh, married. Okay. And Tom used to come always. He used to show up at my doorstep all the time. Okay. But I never knew what was going on with the wrestling. Until, he never shared with you what was happening? Until... Not in the beginning, no. Okay. He shared with me fi finally in 1992. Um, I, at that time, I got divorced, and I was living up in Utica to be close to my son. So he showed up, and, and that's what Tom used to always do. And he would stay a couple months with me. And so, you know, I could see, I, I kept saying to him, why do you go to e ECW shows in Philadelphia, but you don't do anything with the WWF anymore? And then he finally sat down and told me. Mm -hmm. And he showed me Phil Munchnick's article. So I called Phil Munchnick. And then that's when I started understanding the exact, everything that was going on. And, and then I, I started doing a lot of investigating, calling, you know, I, I found a lot of kids. And just a lot of things. And it was like, wow, I couldn't believe that this company was actually doing this. And you know, then at that point is when the, uh, 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 the threat of a lawsuit, a lawyer was brought on. And uh, there was a lot of mistakes made because, you know. Well, we, Lee, Lee, we I, want to, I, want, I, want to, I want to set the table yes. first, okay? So you had six major players involved in this scandal. Mm. Your brother, Terry Garvin, Mel Phillips, Pat Patterson, Vince McMahon, and his wife, Linda McMahon. Yes. Tell us about each from your perspective and your brother's perspective, how you guys felt about those people individually. Well, uh, as for Mel Phillips, I felt like he was just a sleazy guy. He had no right to be around that business at all. Terry Garvin, pretty, pretty much the same way because... Uh, he was brought into that business by his friend Pat Patterson, and then Pat Patterson. I didn't really have a, I didn't really know what to think of Pat Patterson. I knew he was gay, and that didn't really mean anything to me. It was the, the sexual harassment uh, that, that employees continuously uh, faced under Pat Patterson. And um, then, as for I met Vince McMahon uh, for two days. And the first day I met Vince McMahon, I went into his office. We started talking. What they did is they split me and Tom up. Tom went with Linda, with Vince. And uh, Vince uh, pretty much uh, took me to the side, and then we just kept talking. That night, you know, they took us out for dinner, and I drove with Vince, and Tom drove with Linda. They played the game of splitting us up and seeing what they could do. Uh, they didn't know I was involved in this until the lawsuit was negotiated until the settlement was negotiated. They purposely kept me out of the, our, my lawyer purposely kept me out of the negotiations. And we later found out that he was talking to Jerry McDivitt without telling us and coming to some type of conclusion with Jerry McDivitt. They would leave Tom in the room alone with Vince McMahon during negotiations, his own lawyer, which is unheard of. And, uh, and then on top of that, when the lawsuit, uh, when they settled, Tom, when Tom went back to the WWE, they had him signing a bunch of paperwork 
And never once did they say to him, do you want your lawyer here? The lawyer just literally disappeared out of the scene. And Tom was in the room with Linda McMahon, Vince McMahon at time, and Jerry McDivitt. And here you got this street kid with three people like that. How old is Tom at this point? This. Lee, how old is Tom at this years, point? About 20 years old. About 20 point. years old. I know you feel that, Yes, I've heard you say, and I understand that you feel that Vince knew all along. Do you feel Linda knew all along? Absolutely. Okay. <laughs> yes. Okay. You know, I, you know, being being on that floor and seeing how that company operates and being within, you know, there's a lot of wrestlers that never get inside that on that floor with those people. Mm-hmm. You know, for two days I, I was up there, mm-hmm. and to see how they operate up there and how they do things, there's no way that Vince and Linda McMahon did not know what was going on in their company. You know, you have to remember, Vince McMahon admitted to Phil Munchnick that. He fired Mel Phillips because he knew Mel Phillips had a problem with the boys. And then a few months later, he hired him back and he told him, stop with the boys. But here's the thing. He's telling a pedophile to stop doing what he's doing. And even though he fired him for that, he brought him back. That in itself is very suspicious. And this is what he admitted he did. I mean, it's not a surprise. So... He admitted to Phil Munchnik. So, Lee, obviously, in your bro- you're in your brother's life now. You're involved in this situation. Yes. What did he share with you? What Did he tell you to kind of stay away? Did he tell you he still wanted to work there? Like, what was he, what was he telling no, you? Abso- no. Abso- him going back to work was a shock because the day of the negotiations, when they went to the um, building, uh, when they met... Vince McMahon came in on a Sunday morning and snuck into Manhattan and met with with the lawyer. And at that time when they met, um, they basically, uh, uh, they were arguing with Tom and uh, Tom's lawyer gave him a big figure. And Vince McMahon said, if you back me in the corner, I'll fight you like an alley cat. And, uh, And Tom just jumped up and said, stop, I don't want, he goes, he looked at Vince and said, I just want my job back. And, when he at that point, Vince said, "Okay, I'll give you your job back," and uh, he says, "I'll give you." They sort of decided to give him a couple of years back pay, and uh, for the time that he lost with the company, and they brought him back. But you know, when they brought him back, there was no. They all of a sudden started changing everything with Tom. You know, they 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 signed a contract with Tom with no lawyer in the room, where they told Tom he had to go back to school, and he had to pass school or they could fire him. So they added this new thing into the negotiations that was never there in the first place. They just did it on their own. What sort of job was he given when he returned? He clearly wasn't a ring boy anymore. No, well, he worked like uh, on the rings. uh, He still was working on the rings. Okay. Well, ring crew. Okay. All right. uh, But the the thing is, is wrestlers could be pretty brutal, you know, mocking and... uh, and all that stuff. And um, so Tom said, you know, Tom went to Linda and told Linda, look, you know, I'm really getting a lot of harassment from the fans and stuff. They were calling him all sorts of names. I mean, he went through a lot. And, we- and so what he did at that, I'm sorry. No, go ahead. Go ahead. Okay. So he went through a lot at that point, And then he decided that he'd go to Linda. And then Linda says, how about if we put you back in school? And then Tom said, okay, I'll go back to school. But all of a sudden, you know, and I, and I have these contracts, too, and I see them. They're unbelievable. So they say to him, if you can go back to school, they're telling a street kid, 
that's been out of school since you've been 13 years old, that if you go back to school, get your high school diploma and go to college, uh, we'll uh, hire you back, we'll bring you back into the company. So Tom says, Tom didn't want to do this, but he was kind of pushing the corner. And then at that moment, what they did is uh, they had Tom, uh, Tom sign this ridiculous contract that said, if you feel any of your classes or don't show up for your classes, we could fire you. And not only that, they were in constant contact with the school. His employer was in contact with the school. I have these letters from the, the professors and stuff uh, having regular conversations with Linda McMahon. And this was all Linda McMahon at this point. But see, you, you, you don't, know, Lee, and, you don't uh, Lee, you don't think that's a case of they know he's a troubled teen or now a troubled young adult and they're trying to help him with his life, but they want to hold him accountable? No. And the reason why, because none of this was negotiated without a lawyer. Everything that they did, they did without a lawyer. Tom's lawyer, this Alan, I don't want to say his last name, should have been in the room, should have been going over these contracts. They kept putting contracts in front of Tom and kept having him sign all sorts of things. You know, and Tom said to Linda, look, I'll sweep your floors here. I'll mop the, he goes, I just want to work. I don't want to go to school. I want to work. This is what I want to do. I'll do anything you said. And Linda goes, no, we can't put you in the building working. No, we can't do this. They wouldn't even put him in the warehouse. There was lots of places, as anybody that knows of WWE, there's lots of places you could work and be away from the fans. And Tom asked for that job. The mat, the, you know, everybody would say, well, they were trying to put him to school and help him. Okay, sure. But why did they sign these contracts, always sign all these contracts, knowing that Tom had a lawyer, knowing that they shouldn't have been doing it this way, and just negotiating everything with Tom? I mean, it was a... Leaving, and they just wanted to get him out of the company well, legally, Lee, and, and they wanted Pat Patterson back. Well, Lee, part of my problem that I'm having, and obviously you have a lawyer. Tom's got a lawyer. What about child labor, right? You said Tom was working for them at 13 years old, right? Yes, That's got to be illegal exactly. labor. So it's a violation. Was... What they were, what they were doing is they were taking kids across state lines for the purpose of for for sex. How are Which they is paying a violation them? of how are they paying these kids uh, out of, at, under the table out of the, okay under the All table right, just want to make sure pocket. that's established here okay yep. very good yes so and here's the thing Vince McMahon admitted that these boys were working and helping set up the ring but no one ever said to Vince McMahon well let me see your payroll why do you have 13 14 year old kids working for you and on top of that they were taking these kids across state lines which is totally illegal Lee, I got to ask so, you because it's it's burning at me. I have to ask you this: um, what, what? Uh, as traumatic, it's obvious, especially by your recent statements after your brother passed. Unfortunately, it's obviously this was very traumatic to him. Why on earth did he go back? And how did yes. you feel when he went back? Were you pissed off? Were you confused? Yes. Well, he came into the during negotiations. He came, we had another lawyer. And that lawyer came back with, and that's, this lawyer was a good lawyer, but he could not represent us because his son worked, uh, had some type of contracts with uh, Hasbro Toys. So there was a conflict of interest. So he had to stay in the background. He couldn't even show his face. He came in the room right after negotiations, and he said to me, he goes, your, your brother just fucked up. He just, 
he just made a deal to go back to work. And then I was really mad at Tom. And I was okay. saying, what the hell did you do? Then Tom came up to me and gave me a hug and said, he said, and then he said to me, Lee, I just want to go back to work. I want my job back. But he wanted to go back the minute, there, not go, go work anywhere. He wanted to go back there. He wanted, to, he wanted to work for the WWE because he loved it. And he was under the assumption that the men that gave him harassment were all gone. Mm. That was the assumption. He was not going to go back and have to face these men. You know what it was? He was living in a fantasy world. Yeah. You know, I love yeah. my brother, but yes. that's what he was. Yeah. And they used, wrestling, they used wrestling um, as a tool. And one thing you got to understand, when I say they could have kept Tom there and Tom would have been a great worker, after Tom left that company, he became a bodyguard for billionaires. He became a very successful man. He had a, almost a million-dollar house in Hopewell Junction. Uh, he had a very good job making $100,000 a year. And he made something of his life. And they did not give him the opportunity to do what he did after he left there. And every time that something was coming up for Linda McMahon, like she was running for the Senate and stuff, their lawyer, who's the biggest sleazebag in the world, and I despise, and I wish he would sue me, um, he, uh, his name is Jer Jerry McDivitt. As a matter of fact, I'm, I'm daring him to. I'm calling your names, Jerry. I'm saying you're a dirtbag and a sleazebag. You are the reason why. He's as bad as the McMahons. So he's the house lawyer. This guy's a phenomenal lawyer from what I hear. He's just a sleazebag. And so what he did is every time something came up for Linda McMahon, uh, like running for the Senate, he would contact Tom with an email, say, hello, Tom, how you doing? And then what he did is he pretend he was Tom's friend. And now Tom has died. He's been dead for 10 days now. Do you think that Jerry McDivitt ever, or the WWE, ever released a statement saying we're sorry to hear about Tom dying or anything? Nothing. Absolutely nothing. And Jerry, Mc, Jerry McDivitt said, this guy is my friend, and we talk about our kids and everything now. When he left the WWE, why the hell didn't they just leave him alone and never talk to him again? And why was their lawyer friending him? Because they wanted to keep in touch with him. I have emails showing, showing that Linda McMahon contacting my brother right uh, just uh, a couple years ago when a story was coming out. Uh, and she was afraid it was about to come out because she was up for nomination going into the Trump cabinet. So she's contacting my brother saying, how you doing, you know, and then Jerry McDivitt would contact him. So it was like a, they would literally keep it in contact. you got billionaires contacting my brother, you know, just leave him alone. Let everything go its way. Everything's done. But they never let him walk away because they always knew that he was the one person that can destroy that company. And Tom never came out and just sat down and he had many, many opportunities. You know, I did a story with the Washington Post. The day before the story was supposed to come out, they squashed the story. We did a story with uh, NBC, and the day before, the week before, it was with Tom Brokaw. And the week the story was supposed to come out, Vince McMahon had a friend named Dick Embersall that, that stopped the story. You know, and, and, and this is what they have always done. You know, it's, it's been a constant thing. Um, they know how to stop stories. You see, I, I saw a recent interview over the last, I would say in the last half year, where, and it really alarmed me, you, you mentioned you were concerned about your brother's state of mind and health and, and, and the possibility yes. that something like this would 
happen as it unfortunately has. Um, did he ever share with you just how deeply these things were bothering him, the shadow of what had happened all those years ago? He called me. He called me a couple. Uh, he called me in, I would say, October, and he was crying on the phone. And he goes, and he told me. He said, he said to me, a lot more happened to me than I ever said, and I never said what happened to me because it's part of being a man. Tom was a very macho guy. He was a weightlifter. He was a black belt in jujitsu. He was a martial artist, and he always had to. He never wanted to go out there because he worked for very, very rich men. And he was afraid that the stories came out when he was working for these people that he would lose his job. So wait, Lee, and are you trying to say that the story of Tom being harassed is well beyond that and there was more sexual abuse than he led on to be all those years ago? Yes, absolutely. All right, I want to take a commercial break, but first I want to talk about uh, your brother's uh, GoFundMe page. Can you talk about that? Yeah, uh, my sister, Margaret Messina, um, and she herself, um, uh, Maggie is a, a eighth degree, mar uh, is an eighth degree black belt, and she only has her own martial arts business, a very successful woman. And she put this page together for Tom we, uh, last night. And uh, as you can see, it's done quite well in one night. And um, uh, this is uh, for his girls. Um, I'm not sure what's going on with his insurance, whether suicide's going to affect it or not. But, mm -hmm. you know, it also has been determined that he had a brain tumor mm. and that may have pushed him over the edge also. He, you know, he had a lot. You got to remember, Tom was a very fit man. He loved to work out. And all of a sudden, his health took a downturn. And everything he worked for to stay healthy and strong, he started losing. And then in the last year, he started talking to like John Arezzi, and um, he started talking to Slam Wrestling, and he and he told them, "I want to come out and tell my story." But you know, his depression got so deep and dark that he lit come October, he just pretty much fell off the grid. Well, we're asking the fans out there if you could help out Tom's family, go to his GoFundMe page. Uh, the link is within the description that we just posted. We're going to take a quick commercial break. And uh, we'll be back with brother of Tom Cole, Lee Cole, to discuss more about his brother. See you in a sec. That's right, folks. Canine Corral for all your dog daycare and overnight care. Call 631-549-1544. That's 631-549-1544. And Nitro's Garage for all your automotive needs. Call 646-675-2349. That's 646-675-2349. For all your automotive needs, Nitro's Garage, ask for Jack. In the mood for a freshly roasted cup of coffee? www.offtherailscoffeeroasters.com All right, welcome back to Long Island's number one pro wrestling broadcast, Monty and Afaro, seen every Thursday, produced out of Indie Music TV in Rock Ockham in New York. Our special guest, Mr. Lee Cole, brother of Tom Cole. Lee, um, 
as an outsider, I've li- I've heard this story for a very, very long time. And uh, to be honest with you, in a lot of cases, I thought it was suspect, right? It just didn't make sense to me. The stories you heard, again, I've never been involved in such a situation like that, so I, I, I can't speak for anybody, but I'm just talking as an outsider. But now, before the commercial break, you mentioned... The story is much deeper than originally told. What happened to your brother? Well, you know, he took that to his grave. You know, he didn't share. He didn't share with you. He did not share with you. No, no, he was just crying. He was, he was just crying so bad when he was telling me. He was a. He was just a very proud man. He had three beautiful daughters, um, and you know that was his life. Um, he just, I think it was more of an embarrassment. A lot of sexual abuse victims are ashamed and embarrassed because of what happened to them. Sure. And they don't, they don't want to say, and you got to remember, Tom was, you know, he, he, he he perceived himself as a certain type of individual. You know, this was a man who was a bodyguard. So, can, you know, that would be like Mr. T coming out and saying, oh, this happened to me and this happened to me. It just doesn't fit the job description. I know it. I know, know it. And, I know it's very new right now. I know that the emotions are still very raw. But were you angry at your brother doing this? He obviously had a beautiful family, as you spoke of. Did you did you feel he was being selfish? Did you go through any sorts of anger issues? Are you still working I, that out? Um, I was upset with him until I found out about the brain tumor. Okay. Because the brain tumor was in the lobe of his brain, and it was uh, that's the area that makes you... Uh, it, it, it's part of your mood swings and everything. And then when you put all the depression from the other stuff on top of that, between the health illnesses and this uh, the sexual abuse that he had to endure, um, you know, once I heard that, even the girls, from what I understand, were very, when they heard that, they were, they understood better, you know, because people would bring, hey, there was a man that got on a tower in Texas and shot a bunch of people, and when they gave him an autopsy, he had mm. a brain tumor. Mm. You know, it's, it mm. makes you do things that no, no person would think that that person would do with a brain tumor. How much was he suffering physically? You said in the final year of his life he was starting to have a hard time. Was it like, you know, not being able to maintain the physique? Because it's hard enough to be losing your mental capacity. Yes. Then you combine it with physical, now you're really in a bad spot. He he had an operation where he had to wear a bag on his side for a few months. Oh, and mean, then, because he oh. had uh, diticulitis. Right. And then that he got an infection and he had to get an operation for stoma. So that was another thing right behind it. And then he uh, started. He started uh, having issues with his back and legs. And the day he called me, the very last conversation he had with anybody, he, he was talk. I had a vertebrae surgery, and he was going in for an MRI because of all the pains in his head and neck. And it was a week away. And he asked me about my surgery and how it helped me and everything. And I told him. And we, you know, we talked about an hour and a half. And you know what was sad about that day. Ten minutes later, I came in the house and my phone started ringing. Matter of fact, I was on the phone talking to Dave Vixenspan, who's uh, and we we just became friends. You know, he he does stories and uh, he's a researcher. And then when the phone started ringing off the hook, I knew something was wrong. But I thought it was my mother 
My mother's 84 years old and still alive. And I thought it was a man. I was shocked when they said it was Tom. I was absolutely hmm. shocked. Lee, I understand Vince McMahon's the CEO of the WWE, right? Yes. Um, and ultimately, he's in charge and he's responsible what happens with his company. But he did fire Garvin and Phillips. What else did you expect them to no. do? He didn't fire them. No, they resigned. They okay. resigned. Okay. And they resigned. And um, Pat Patterson uh, offered to resign, but they told he didn't actually resign, which they lied about. And if you go back to Larry King uh, interview uh, with Vince McMahon the night, he talked about my brother and he lied all through it. He said he didn't know nothing of him and stuff, but he was already talking to the lawyers and negotiating. And even Larry King said to him, uh, Vince looked at these, you know, Vince looked at them and said, oh, these three men are gone now and they're not coming back. And that meant all three of them, including Pat Patterson. And yet, all he wanted to do was get Pat Patterson back right away. So is, is your point of so, contention, is your point of contention is that he brought Pat Patterson back? If he didn't bring Patterson back, would all been forgiven? Well, what would have been better than anything is that when Tom went back to work, that they gave him an actual chance to work, you know, and didn't make these agreements that they shouldn't have been making. And, you know, this has always been my problems. Any agreements they made should have been done with a lawyer. And they knew what they were doing was wrong. You know, that this is a company that deals with lawyers all the time. And so here they are. They had this young man who, who at that time was uneducated in a room with them and they're doing all these, they're throwing, and you gotta remember, Tom, when Tom left that company and sued him again, it was because they locked him in the building when he refused to sign any more contract. He, he stopped, he said, look, Linda, I'm not, I'm not gonna sign any more things, I'm done. So they locked him in the building and wouldn't let him leave. You know, that's what they did. And you know, when Tom sued him the second time, the lawyer, the lawyer was like, he couldn't believe that they would, they did this to him. And then one day, Tom just stopped showing up. He didn't even come back to see the lawyer. He didn't care no more. He literally disappeared off the face of the earth. He wanted nothing to do with anything no more. He just walked away. You know, I couldn't find him. Nobody could find him. And he was gone for about four or five months. He literally went into hiding. He didn't want to deal with any of this. That's how much it was affecting him. Uh, I'm not sure if I've got the numbers exact, but when in regards to the settlement, uh, Lee, I believe I've heard that um, the originally uh, Tom took fifty-five thou, and that they even gave you twenty thou. Uh, at the end yes. of the at the end of the day, if you could do this all over again, was the settlement the biggest mistake you made in all of this, both of you, and that you should have just gone for the throat, like I was saying last week to Mike? I don't understand why. You'd let him get away with this if you really knew that you had him, had him. Yeah. What, do you okay, regret the you, settlement? You, oh, my gosh. Yes. And here's okay. why. Here's what I regret. I regret when they told me to stay at the motel. I should have said no. That's That was the biggest mistake that was made. But then there, his lawyer, who was corrupt and talking to, he was already talking. And without telling us, he was already talking to McDivitt. He never told us. He was talking to McDivitt from home to home. Never came to us and said, oh, I talked to, I talked to McDivitt last night. So right there, he, the rules were broken. 
And then on top of that, leaving Tom in the room alone with Vince McMahon, Linda McMahon, and Jerry McDivitt, who does that? What kind of lawyer does that? It sounds yeah. to me so, like, yeah, unfortunately, your lawyer was Frankie Williams and their lawyer lot was money. Hulk Hogan. Yeah, he made a lot of money. And you know what else he did? Tom just did an interview with Geraldo Rivera that was a big interview. And it was going to be, it was going to really, it, it would have brought him down. Hmm. So Vince McMahon asked and paid Tom's lawyer to put an injunction on Geraldo Rivera. Vince McMahon didn't even sue him for an injunction. Tom's lawyer put an injunction on the Geraldo Rivera show. How much do you think he got paid for that? Because Tom sure the hell didn't pay him. So, did you, did you ever entertain taking action against the lawyer? <laughs> he sounds like he didn't uh, do a damn thing for you guys. Well, well here was a mistake. Or better yet, we, get another lawyer. This, yeah, get another lawyer. This lawyer sucks. Well, here's, here, here's what happened. Well, here's what happened. This lawyer was living off his father's name. His father was a Supreme Court judge. Oh, and when we went to meet his father, we went to meet his father in this big mansion in Rye, and the father kept falling to sleep <laughs> through the, when we were talking to him. Great. And then his kids come out. The, the son comes out with the daughter, and, you know, they look at the article, and they look at each other and go, oh, this is big. This is going to really be great, you know? And it's like right at that moment I should have been scared and ran. Hmm. But you know when you have a when you have a when you have an office across from uh, right on Avenues of America across from the New York Public Library, and you know it, it's an overwhelming scene. It looks like success, but these people weren't success. Their father was successful. But this is these were this is all afterthought. You know, you know what you find out afterwards isn't what you know at that time. Lee. In 1993, Linda McMahon was quoted as saying, Tom has been and continues to be manipulated by his brother, Lee Cole. Linda McMahon told this to the Charleston Post. What are your thoughts about that comment? Linda McMahon and Vince McMahon already also sued Phil Munchnik and said that Phil Munchnik and I had a plot to bring down the WWE. I didn't even know Phil Munchnik. I talked to him on the phone a couple times, but... You know, they're saying that, can you imagine that? Some, you know, at that time, me, I was a wanted felon. And they said that I had uh, talked to, you know, Phil Munchik and I got together and conspired to bring the company down. And the only reason they did that with Phil, they knew they weren't going to win that lawsuit, but the judge shut him up and he couldn't talk no more. And then, you know, they came after me. Who else was there better to come after? And now they can come after me all they want. You know, I'm going to be around until the day I die. Then I'm never going to shut up on these people. Well, this also is troubling me, Lee. I understand your anger against the McMahons. I understand what you've explained this interview so far. Why didn't you feel the same way about wrestlers like Bruno Sammartino or superstar Billy Graham who were there at that time and also knew what was going on and did not stop it until they left the WWE? That's not true. No, that's not true. That's okay. not true. I knew Bruno I knew Bruno Sammartino. I talked to Bruno Sammartino several times. Mm -hmm. During he did a deposition for us. Bruno knew everything that was going on. But he did a deposition he after he left sleep. the company. He didn't stop it when it yeah. was going right. on. Right, right. Was, That's you, my yeah, question. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Bruno was empowered okay. to at least say something when these things were happening under his watch. I mean he was there, now, right? No, I no, I think Bruno worked for his for Vince's father. 
Right. And you got to remember Vince's, you know, Vince's father and Bruno uh, and Bruno had a good relationship. Okay. Bruno had a horrible relationship with Vince McMahon. How did you feel years later when Bruno, you know, all seemed forgiven? But wait a minute, hold on. I'm trying to. I'm trying to. Lee's just saying right now he had a relationship with Vince's father. Right. Are you telling me? So since he had a, a a relationship with Vince's father. He was he was okay with close you know turning his back on thirteen year old children being sexually molested until he decided to leave the company and then all of a sudden it was a problem. You know something? You bring up a good point. I can't answer that. I can't speak for Bruno Sammartino. He's right. dead. Right. You know, and right. you know what? Because it no, almost smells like sour grapes. Right. Well, that's yeah. my point. You got you've got yeah, wrestlers you, who were what? there. And if if this supposedly was going on, why didn't they step in? And then uh, my question right. to you, you know Lee, is you know just, why don't you want some kind of redemption from these these people? Actually, I do. I'll give you an example. Jesse Ventura, he went up to my brother Tom when Tom first started there and said to him, uh, "Stay away from that guy. He's a real creep." Okay. And they and Gorilla Monsoon used to mock these guys when they were wrestling. The back door of, of, of Terry Garvin. They all knew. They were all guilty. You know something? I don't really care about about what they did. They, I lost my brother. My brother killed himself. And my brother always told the truth. And I can't, you know, if they let this happen, they have to live with that. If they knew that, it's just like what happened with Penn State. If they knew what was going on, then they have to live with it. They're the ones that did it. Not Tom, not me. It's a great point, Lee. Again, I want to reference the fans out there to uh, donate for Tommy's girl. Look, look, people, this, uh, this was a, a troubled man who went through a hellacious thing that people shouldn't have to go through. No. And... Uh, Unfortunately, he took his own life, and uh, we're asking people out there to donate to his family. Lee, what was what was Tom's final year or so like? I mean, was he? I know you told me he was physically suffering, mentally suffering. Was he still staying active somewhat, or was he now at home and just dealing with his own demons? He was at he was at home all the time oh. between that and COVID happening. He was at home uh, and. Uh, he was just—he wasn't the same Tom. The Tom—the Tom that I always knew was very. When he walked into the room, he was the first person you knew. He was usually the best good-looking guy in the room. He was usually, you know, he was just a whole different type of guy. Uh, he literally changed overnight. Everything about him. And here's when he really got upset. He got a hold of Jerry McDivitt, his friend Jerry McDivitt, and said, "Jerry, I need a favor from you guys." He goes. I have insurance and stuff, but I like you guys to pay the deductibles for the insurance and give me a hand here. It's really affecting me. And then Jerry says, absolutely not. And then Tom called me and said, you know, I just had a talk with Jerry McDivitt. And then I said to him, I said, Tom, you should have never been talking with that creep. You know, and so Tom was under the assumption this man was his friend, literally his friend. And then when it came down to Tom asking first, and then Tom said to him, you guys did this to me, Jerry. You can't help me with my deductibles and stuff? And Jerry said, absolutely not. <laughs> Getting back to Bruno, if I can, um, you obviously, at yes. one point, you, you you spoke with the living legend. You must have had a decent relationship with him. He supported you yes. with his uh, deposition. 
When he did yes. go back to Vince years later and join the Hall of Fame, were you like muttering under your breath, you fucking sellout? What the fuck no. is this? Pardon my French, but uh, no, were could. you surprised? You know, you know something? In the beginning, I was very upset about it, but okay. then when I really talked to people about it and stuff, I wasn't because Bruno really got screwed. You know, he he was a big part of the company for, ten, you know, all those years he was champions. That's the guy I remember when I was a kid. He's Babe that Ruth. Was, you know, he was He's the Babe show. Ruth. Yes. <laughs> Yeah. And basic, and they just stuck it to him. They stuck it to him so bad. And, you know, he did, I guarantee you that Bruno probably bit his lips and felt felt dirty when he had to do what he had to do. Mm. And, you know, there's no doubt, because if you remember when he went up against uh, Vince on Larry King and Phil Donahue and stuff, you could see he wanted just to grab Vince by the throat and knock him out. And, and you know, and, and I'll never forget... There were two people in this that I always respected. It was Bruno and Barry Orton. And because those guys, to me, were never lying and always telling the truth about what happened. And, you know, I'm not going to be mad at Bruno. Bruno deserved to go to the Hall of Fame. Sure. He deserved to get some extra money. Absolutely. For what he did to that company. They should be ashamed. You know, you know, they should be ashamed. you got to give Bruno credit for holding out all those years. To be honest, it reminded me of when Yogi Berra had the falling out with George Steinbrenner. To be very honest, they stayed away from each yeah, other for, exactly. for a very yeah. long time. And then somehow at the end, it was, uh, well, I guess, all was made better. So, Lee, let me ask you this. These guys, uh, yeah. Let me ask you this. Outside of looking in, both you and your brother have had trouble with the law. You know, when people have trouble with the no, law. No, my brother never had. I Tom, thought you. Tom never okay. had no trouble with the law. But you right. did, correct? Never. Tom was a bodyguard. He, oh, he, hell yeah, I did. <laughs> All right, so can you explain <laughs> okay. to the fans out there what went on with yourself so they could understand? I, I, grew, up in the, I, I grew up in the streets, you know, and I, and I did stupid things. I, you know, but, you know, the things I did was based on money. It was based on, you know, I just did things that were stupid. And, uh, you know, when you grow up a certain way, you look at life a certain way. You know, you hustle and, you know, that's your life. You know, it's not like I never built drugs or anything. I was, you know, I any place I ever went to work, I always became the boss. But my problem was once I became the boss, I didn't know how to handle it. Mm. And I would do stupid things. You know, I had no, uh, I'd be a millionaire now if I had discipline. But I didn't have discipline. I was in the street when I was 10, 11, 12 years old. I was a runaway. I had to sleep in the streets in Times Square. I grew up on Times Square. You know, most of the kids I grew up in Times Square were selling their body. The difference between me and them is I was working. I always worked on a hot dog stand or a pizza place. You know, I had no discipline because of the way I was brought up. Plain and simple. Interesting. Lee, you were quoted, and if I may, note to Vince and Linda. I will do everything in my power legally, in quotations, and make sure that you answer for the lives you have destroyed. I ask Twitter to please not let these people shut me down. They are despicable human beings. Believe me, they will come for me. Yes. Anything else you like? Now, when I say legal, well, when they said legal, when I said legal, some people took that as like I was going to sue them. No. What I meant by legal is I will not do nothing illegal to bring them down. Okay, because they want me to. I'll give you an example. My sister put up that Facebook page. She's a very wealthy woman, very successful woman. They're not going to do nothing to her. But if I put up that Facebook, I mean that, that um, I'm sorry. Go um, fund me the page. page for Tom. Go, fund me, go fund me page. Yep, they, would yep. come after, they would come after me. 
they would say, oh, I'm trying to make money off my brother's death. Lee, I got to ask I'm not going to give them. Go yes. ahead. Go ahead. Please finish. I'm not, I'm not going to make no money off my brother's death. You know, I'm not interested in no money whatsoever. I'm interested in justice. Lee, what I take from the interview that, that to me is actually a little haunting is, is that you told me that they basically from time to time, even recent, even in recent years, were still keeping tabs on him. Now that your brother is gone, are you about to undergo this same treatment? Because this last line here in your statement, believe me, they will come for me. You believe that now you're going to be the one that they're constantly seeing? Is he still alive? Let's see how uh, he's doing. They, or, yeah, oh, without a doubt. They, they, whenever they got a hold of Tom, they would always say, so how's your brother Lee doing? What's, where is he? You know, is he doing good? Like they cared about me. You know, they didn't care about me. They were hoping I was in prison somewhere. You know, that's what they were hoping. You'll be looking over your shoulder then. Is, that what, is this what well, you're getting at? I don't at trust or? these people. I, let me tell you something. I don't, they, won't, they won't sue me because they know they, they don't know what I have on them. Sue me. I deal with them. You know, I got nothing. Maybe I could wrap my 55-inch TV up and give it to them. So they can sue me for whatever they want. <laughs> this they can tell me to shut up. They can tell me to shut up. But every before, time when I go, go up, up, I'm sorry, every time I go to shut up, I'll never shut up because in my head, I always picture my brother hanging on that cord. Lee, before before the show started, you sent me you sent me some documentation, which uh, for the fans out there, I can post as proof. Uh, can you explain what this documentation is all about? Just is how sleazy they are. At that time, I had, you know, when I took these people on, I had a felony warrant, and these assholes didn't even know I had a felony warrant. That's how brilliant they are. And so when they find, my friend Steve went and told them, and then what they did is they flew, they flew Steve down to Titan Towers. He met with, he met with Linda McMahon. He met with Jerry McDivitt, and they, they discussed how to get me out of the way. And Steve told them, well, I know that he has a warrant. And then basically what they did is, well, turn him in. And at that time, Tom was on their side. I don't blame Tom for that because Tom had so much pressure and Tom did think I was messing with his job. So I get on, I forgive my brother for that. But the fact of the matter is Steve signed that confession because what happened is I got, they said two cops came to my door and they were detectives. They arrested me, but they didn't realize I paid the restitution already. And back in those days, it didn't get into the system right away. So they took me down to New York City and they, uh, and you know, two days later I was released. And when I was released, I called Vince up. I called Jerry McDivitt up and I said, you guys fucked up, man. You should have never done this to me. Then all of a sudden I would hear that big dickhead in the background, uh, Vince McMahon go, oh, I'm sorry you feel that way, Lee. I said, oh, Vince, I thought you weren't here at the meeting. So they were talking to me and they were like, oh, shit, this guy got out of jail. They literally thought that I was going to be in jail. You got the tickets there for Steve. You have the motel room that they put him up. Why would they put that guy up? He's my best friend at that time. And it's a written statement from him, right? Yep. Yes, it's a written statement with the plane tickets, motel room. This is how they operated, and this is what they think of me. Well, apparently they did such a good job of manipulating your brother. It sounds to me like you two almost had a complete falling out over the whole situation. Yeah. He wanted to keep his job, and he wanted you yeah. to shut up. Boy, oh boy. Yep. That had to be yep. rough. They came between us. Me and my brother were tight like you wouldn't believe. I love my brother. I was like a father to my brother when he was going through all that when he was younger. And then when I had trouble in my life, my brother was there for me. 
Mm. And but they always came between us for the last 30 years. They've always come between us. And I always me and Tom would argue because he would tell me Jerry McDivitt's his friend. And, you know, I said to Jerry McDivitt right to his face, I said, Jerry, let me ask you a question. How can you look at your children at night knowing what these people did to children? And Jerry says to me, I have no trouble looking at my children. So, you know, uh, that's Jerry McDivitt for you. Just out of curiosity, and I don't know if you have the answers to this, and I don't know if Tom ever shared it with you, how big is this spider web we're talking? How many more Tom Coles do you know of that possibly from back in those days went through something like this? Are we talking dozens? Are we talking five? What are we talking? Any idea? I, well, I know lots of them, and a lot of them are 50 years old now, and a lot of them have their, they're like Tom. They are, they don't want to know that, that this uh, perverted man, what he did to them. And then there are some that are, are going to come forward. So, you know, and then you got to remember too, Vince McMahon and Linda McMahon, when they went down, they got into my answer machine. My brother gave them my code. They got names out of there. They went, they went out and they bought these people off, these kids, their families. And a lot of these kids from bad families, when you go to their family and say, look, I'll give you $20,000. This is back in 1992. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't want your son talking about this no more. Mm-hmm. You're going to take $20,000. You know, and this is what they did. One kid up in Buffalo wind up with a brand new car he was driving around in, you know, right after that. You know, and this is what they did. They, they, per- they literally went out, hunt these kids down, and bought them off. We're going to take a quick commercial break, and then we'll be back with final thoughts of from uh, Lee Cole. Hashtag um, justice for Tom Cole. We'll be right back. There we go. Elm Logistics. For all your logistic needs, call 631-299-3595. That's 631-299-3595. Elm Global Logistics, Pride, Performance, and Partnerships. And APB, American Protection Bureau, voted number one best on Long Island for all your security needs. Call 631-390-9050. That's 631-390-9050. APB. Jimmy, I gotta take a dump. What? No, I mean I need a dumpster. <sighs> well, for all those needs, you need to call Big V Dumpster Rental, Long Island, New York, six three one nine hundred dump. Hmm. All right, welcome back to Long Island's number one pro wrestling broadcast, Monty Nafaro, with with our special guest Lee Cole, brother of. Tom Cole. Lee, what do you want out of the McMahons? If you could have the perfect scenario, what do you want? For the McMahons to come forward and admit that they knew that this man was a pedophile and they ignored it, which they're not going to do. For them to start a foundation for Tom and for sexual for uh, sexually abused people. For them to offer, you know, to do something for Tom. Uh, to, for Tom's family to, you know, but the most of all, they could do whatever they want. But the fact of the matter is they've never answered. They never even said, well, Tom worked for us. We feel bad what happened. May he rest in peace, anything. 
They didn't do that. Jerry McDivitt claimed to be his friend. He's never replied anything about Tom's death. Nothing. So they're pretending it doesn't exist. But, you know, I, I, from good sources, I know that they're pulling my Twitter in every day up to Titan Towers, and they're looking at everything I'm doing. They're threatening me. So, you know, uh, on that, I'll leave for the legal side. Um, but I don't think they have enough guts to come after me more than threatening me or from out, using outsiders. I've already talked to people. The same part about this whole thing are people that doesn't that still to this day don't believe what Tom said, you know. And I would say to you, it, it's not true. Why would Vince McMahon bring Tom into Titan Towers, even discuss anything with me and bring me into Titan Towers? Why would he let? The, why did he let these people leave? Uh, you know, there's so many scenarios here uh, that you know it's so obvious that they're guilty. And the FBI dropped the ball because they cared about the steroids. You know what Vince McMahon told me? Vince McMahon told me that he did not care about the steroids because the steroids wasn't going to bring down his company. He cared about the charges with the children. That's what he had his biggest fear about. And, you know, just speaking to the man one-on-one, you know, he came, I, in the beginning I liked him, and then after the second day we walked out of the office, I looked at my brother, I said, damn, what a dick. Mm. You know, because that's what he is. He's a, he's a, he reminds me of this big walking dick. Well, Lee, no matter what side of the fence... Oh people stand on whether they believe you brother or you or they don't the fact of the matter is uh, something happened to your brother and uh it drove him to commit suicide so again i want to ask fans out there please please go to uh donate to tommy's girl the gofundme page and uh help out a family in need uh again no matter what side of the fence you're on someone had lost their lives please. over over a terrible tragedy. Uh, Lee, we're going to hit you with the final question, the Pharaoh's final question. Go ahead, Jimmy. Yeah, Lee, first of all, I want to thank you for coming on. I know that this cannot be easy for you, so I have much respect to you for being our guest this week. Uh, if I can, you know the Internet is going to say what they're going to say. You know that, that Tom has a certain yes. reputation one way or the other because of the Ring Boy scandal. But I ask you, as his brother... Yeah. Give us a testimonial. How would you prefer and like your brother to have been remembered? What would you say about him? He was a he was a great you know at his funeral his his daughter said something that really made sense. She said my father was made to be a father. And because that's what he was really good at is being a father. And he he loved his daughters immensely. Um and this whole thing, you know, Tom was a good man. You know, he he was a lot different than me. See, I could deal with these people because they're scumbags, and I'm kind of a scumbag. But, you know, my brother was a good man. And um, he had he couldn't deal with them because he was so kind and gentle. And, you know, he had a gentle soul. And, uh, you know, and that's the part that I, you know, the thing I regret most of this is that, you know, Tom when people start saying they're going to hurt themselves and they say it so much, a lot of people just don't listen so anymore. And I regret the fact that I stopped listening to him because he was saying it so much. Uh, I could only imagine what you're going through. And uh, I want to thank you for coming on our show. 
I want to thank you for sharing the stories about your brother. Um, we're praying for your family. We're praying for his, his family. And uh, I only wish that you get the justice that you're looking for. Can I say one, one quick thing? Sure. It's not, it's not only me or my brother. This is an organization that calls their workers independent contractors. They, they, they uh, most of them uh, have horrible injuries. They have concussions. Most of them are broke. Most of them have no money. They treat their workers horrible. The deaths are unbelievable. The murder cover-ups are unbelievable. I mean, if any other company went through what the WWF has done, they would not even be in business. But the fact that Vince McMahon calls his business an entertainment company, he gets away with it because people think this is like part of the wrestling skit. Uh, you know, every other day there's a man dying at the age of 40 years old in a motel room somewhere. Just like my brother, they got kids at home and they're dying. And he refuses with all the money that he's made off their backs to even help any of them. They don't even remember their names. I had one guy tell me that he went up and spoke to one of these guys at a show and he knew him as good friends and he, then he didn't recognize this guy. And then he looked at him and said, hey, brother, I don't remember what happened yesterday. So, you know, it's not just Tom. It's a lot of wrestlers that have went through this. It's a lot of people's lives have been destroyed by by a, by a husband and wife. Uh, is what it comes down to. Well, keep the good fight going, Lee. Nothing but respect for uh, what you've had to go through, and um, you got a you got a big pair of balls, my friend. Much respect. Well, I just don't care. I mean, my brother's dead. You know. You know, they, there's nothing they could do to me. Nothing. You know, they can, they can, I can go to jail. I don't give a shit. They're not going to shut me up. Well, we'll consider you a friend of the show. And anything you need from us, by all means, reach out. And again, we thank you for coming on and sharing your story, Lee. I appreciate it, you guys. Uh, thanks you for hearing, asking me really good questions. Uh, I wish other interviewers asked me. All right. God bless. God bless, Lee. Thank you. Thank you. All right. So, Jimmy? Whoa. What are you thinking? You know what I'm thinking. I have to process. You know I processed. Uh, that was um, it was emotionally riveting. It's a lot of stuff, quite honestly, that somebody who grew up uh, loving pro wrestling does not want to hear. And I have to I have to process it. That was pretty, that is, was painful to listen to. Is this to. the closest, like, you know, we've I had all these, we've had all these famous wrestlers come in and discuss yeah. whatever their trials and tribulations. Mm -hmm. This felt the most real this is, well, to be very honest, this is right there with when Tony was talking about the actual moment that Bruiser was stabbed in the shower. Mm. You know, when it gets real, it gets real. And like you just said, I, I don't think it can get much realer than this situation. Well, again, I want to thank... Deep uh, end of the pool. I want to thank Lee for coming on. Yes. Um, I, I respect the fact that he answered every question to sure the best did. of his ability. Sure did. He didn't skate anything. No. Again... People, whether you're on one side or the other, you hate Vince McMahon, you love Vince McMahon, mm -hmm. uh, someone lost their life. So anything we could do to help them, please, by all means, um, even through this tough time, if we could help out their family, support definitely, them. Definitely support. With that being said, um, we're back next Thursday uh, with just a straight show with ourselves. Oh, we got us. Nice. And then on Friday, we've got 
Friday. A long-awaited return of Friday. the Metal Maniac, oh. March fifth oh, at six p.m. The Metal Maniac. Oh man, Maddie, is that six or six thirty? I think it's six thirty. Where are we, Maddie? Yeah. Six thirty. And we've got a special surprise guest coming in for what? the Metal Maniac interview. Yes. Okay. Metal Maniac will be over the uh, over VMix or other people call it Zoom. And then at 8 o'clock on March 5th, we've got Stars and Stripes, okay. Buff Bagwell, and The Patriot. Now, I want to know one thing, though. Go Is ahead. Buff going to shave the mustache off when he comes in for, for Stars It's and funny. Stripes? People don't even realize that's <laughs> that, Buff that's Bagwell. That's Buff Bagwell. I had Bart looking at that for five minutes. I'm like, come on. Who is it? Come on. I'll give you clues. I'll give you right, clues. Right, right. Finally, you know, he was like, wait a minute. Is that Buff? <laughs> Well, <laughs> Patriot will be wearing his mask. Good. And cool. for the fans out there, um, you're a big Patriot. I'm, I'm bringing a hoagie in, and we're oh. gonna have the Patriot eat a hoagie oh with his mask. God, you, please. You're still not over that from all those years ago, are you? No, no. All right, all right. But Mike, one time witnessed the luchador uh, eating a hero with his mask on. Uh, you were, you were like in shock. <laughs> I was that was shock. actually hilarious. I like, was. Now I've seen everything. Now I have seen everything, <laughs> without a doubt. And then on March 6th, 5 p.m., 90 Minutes of Bliss for Monty and Afaro, former two-time WWE champion, former one-time WWF champion, WWF. tag team champion. Oh, Sorry. yeah, right, with Pedro. Right, with Pedro. That's right. We're going to have Mr. No Bob Backlin in studio. Please, please. And we return next week. Uh, thank you, Bart G out there, reminding me. We'll return next yeah. week with our segment Head to Head, where we pin two wrestlers against each other. Any idea who's it going to be? Uh, not yet. Be? Oh, it's going to be a surprise. Sure? Oh, I'm psyched. I again, love, I love Head to Head. Again, That's I want to take a moment out to thank concept. Lee Cole for coming on oh, yeah. and answering, again, fans out there. We don't ask softball questions. No, we play um, baseball. No, we don't. If play I baseball. if I could finish off before I close the show, um, Joe Spinella says your prayers are with us, Lee. God bless. Very nice, Joel. I will make a statement on what I believe in on certain things. Okay. I will believe in this: is that if what happened is is true. Yeah. Okay. I don't know whether it's true or not. I, sure. You got people saying it. Okay. Okay. I'm not going to commit to that, but I will say this. If it is true, mm -hmm. other people knew about this, yeah. and they're equally as guilty. Sure. And that sure. is my biggest problem. Sure. That there's a lot more people who were aware and didn't say shit. You know, just because you're collecting a paycheck, when do you look in the mirror and you stop? Right. And then, right. you know, again, I'm just... This is hypothetical. I mean, Gorilla Monsoon cracking rectum jokes when the guy's in the ring and stuff like that? Come on, man. That's my not bigger, even funny. My bigger problem is, Oy. and again, I'm not going to attack Bruno San Martino. No. But Bruno, if Bruno knew about this. Right. And then, after he leaves the WWE, then he becomes the patriot or the patriarch right. of fighting this. Right. And then returns And then returns later. back. It looks like sour grapes. It's pretty it's pretty yeah, effing I disgusting. I know. It's, it's pretty effing disgusting. I'm not surprised by it though. Why am I not surprised? Why should we be surprised? Uh, I'm not surprised at anything in this business. Anything. We've learned that for sure. You know, over the few years that we've been involved in this now. Well, anyway, we feel honored to have the fans who follow us and watch us. We want to thank you for tuning in every week and uh 
you know, it's just our pleasure. You can catch Monty Nefaro on the Monty Nefaro YouTube page, the Monty Nefaro Facebook Live page. Hear us on iHeartRadio, Spotify, Ooh. Anchor. Catch us on New York Cable on Channel 115 every Tuesday from 7 to 7.30. And for Early Risers, Channel 115 from Saturday, 6.30 a.m. to 7 a.m. And Channel 20, just a few hours from now, yeah. you could catch... Uh, Terry James, Terry James, right? Am I saying that right? James Terry. James Terry. AFL, AFL place kicking AFL legend. AFL place kicking legend. There we go. Private investigator <laughs> wrestlers. The reduced version of his interview is on right after the show. I don't show. know about the reduced, but it's abbreviated. Go on. Anyway, I, Jimmy, I any parting words for the fans? Uh, just thanks a lot for tuning in. We love our fans, and I hopefully you love us as much as we love you. And that was a great, great show. And I will be processing this for at least. Till, till next time. And I want to thank Matty Ice, as always, for producing another fantastic episode Matty of Ice. Long Island's number one pro wrestling broadcast, Monty and a Faro. This is Mike Monty. This is the Faro. And until next week, later. <laughs>